You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God. Mind control. The last days. Higher dimensions. Unity. The power of faith. Discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. Folks, today we are talking with Paul Tothill from Gateway Church in Adelaide, Australia. Now, I'm excited because this weekend I will be leaving for Australia and I'm going to be flying over to hang out with him. And we're going to be doing some really, really cool things. Uh, some of the things we'll be doing, we'll be touching on some of the things we're going to be talking about today. And so far as principles and concepts and ideas, listen, Paul has been on my program a number of times. It's a great revelation of the kingdom, and I've just uh, had so much joy in getting to know him in private conversations that we've had the opportunity to share. He is the senior pastor at his church in Australia, and Paul, welcome back to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Thank you, Dan. So uh, wonderful to be with you again, and uh, we are certainly looking forward to you being in Adelaide with us. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to coming to Adelaide. This, this is going to be really cool. I, I really enjoyed Australia the last time I was there. Now, they told me about several things. Um, they, they told me a lot of ways that I could die, and I they thought it was funny. I, I don't know if you find it funny, like to, to harass your visitors, um, but I think it's, it might just be something about Aussie blood. It's just like, yeah, get those travelers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you just don't touch the spiders, the snakes, See, the crocodiles, the, croc the sharks. Other than that, you're all pretty good. Yeah, well, I've heard there are more ways to die in Australia than like anywhere on the planet. <laughs> you know what the worst Maybe. thing? <laughs> the worst part is, last time I went to Australia, Paul, I kid you not, the day I left, the devil went in my mom's TV and put on a special. 101 ways to die in Australia or something like literally the day I left my mom pulled that up came up it's like oh Daniel and she prayed for me and I was like, oh, no, no I, I, 
It's an adventurous nation, that's for sure, but it's pretty safe. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're covering this one in prayer, brother. You know, Paul, we, we've had some really, really good conversations. Um, the last time we were talking on this program, we were talking about the love of God and governmental authority. I mean, this is profound, powerful. And, and um, you, before that, we had you on, and you were going off on and concept you call the reduced gospel which i totally stole from you i use it now all the time i i try to credit you but i use it It, it's just such a great way to explain in two words what these criminals have done with the bible and jesus's teachings yeah yeah there's uh, it it, it's actually uh, quite interesting um as we uh hunger and desire for more uh, which is which is very much the leading of the Holy Spirit. What starts to happen is we start to explore the scriptures with a new lens, with a new heart, as we pursue the scriptures in Christ and to know Christ. And I think that's the important part. The revelation that the Holy Spirit brings us, according to the promise of the New Testament, to the covenant we live by, is that we, we, we start having truths revealed to us and um, we, we start to then test uh, some of the doctrinal boundaries uh, and explanations and systematic way in which people have taught Scripture only to realize their limitations. And um, we're not being rebellious by being uh, those who are pursuing Christ. Um, we, we're not called to follow traditions where they're inconsistent with a proper exegesis, which means a proper contextual historical understanding of what the author of the text is trying to convey as spiritual truth. And I think we've been trapped and locked in, Daniel, as I've said to you so many times, with the limitations of man's interpretation within any one generation. And we can honestly see that that the apostolic fathers and the early church fathers had a very different idea of the gospel and and the kingdom than what we are um, experiencing and and understanding in the church today. So the great pursuit for me is not only to know Christ, but to know the mysteries that are available to me. It's God's good pleasure to give me the kingdom, to enter the kingdom, to operate within the realm of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus died for that, that, that's what I want to live by. It's what I want to bring people connected in Christ into the reality of. Well, amen. You know, Paul, this is the thing. We connect on a lot of things. And one of those things that we connect on so so deeply is this idea that God wants us living from heaven to earth. That there is a deeper mystery behind the idea of um, being in the spirit, even being in Christ. Then, then many theologians have, have, have uh, made space for. You know, here's one. Uh, I, I just want to throw out there, like right off the bat, this this was something that God really pointed out to me. In the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, John is writing as he begins his vision of Jesus. And he says in, in verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, you know, it's like, first of all, for all those people that said the kingdom of Jesus isn't coming until Jesus comes back, didn't read Revelation 1.9. John was already in it. Uh, He says, was on the isle that is called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
So they, they dropped him off there. And then he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice like a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And this is the thing, Paul, the, pre, the thing that precedes this trumpet, this supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ is the fact that he was practicing a spiritual relationship with the spirit of the living God. He was absolutely abiding in the spirit. That was something he did on purpose. Yeah. In fact, if you if you look at the uh, one translation, the New American Standard Bible, it's on verse nine. It says, "I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus." I mean that that. The idea there of that translation, a tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, that's a very interesting translation. And, and John, what I think is exciting about this is that John had the physical relationship with Jesus. He was the apostle of the chest. He was the one that Jesus loved. Uh, and he loved he will speak of love and authority and apostolic government but uh, more than anyone else in in a sense of understanding it from this deep union uh, hmm. in Christ he has a high christology and so when we see him in the book of revelation now coming into this mystical encounter if you will it was normal for him wait a minute it wasn't wait, wait, weird. Wait, wait. It wasn't strange it was normal for him you said it was normal now most christians do not believe that it is possible to have normal encounters with the realm of the spirit that is under the jurisdiction of jesus christ absolutely not are you suggesting paul that there is somewhere god would like to take his church where heaven and earth see a, a, a lapse in distinction, where the church actually engages heavenly things and as, as a normal thing? Is there yeah. something like that? I'm sorry, I'm trying to get you to preach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they give me to preach. I'm happy to discuss, but we, we, we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus talking about? You know, the ancients went back to Ezekiel to try and gain esoteric, uh, revelatory insight in the realms of the spirit and those kinds of things by going to Ezekiel chapter one. If we look at everyone in the Old Testament prophets led by the spirit, let me say that again, led by the spirit, they had mystical revelatory encounters into realms and dimensions. But Jesus says something profound in Matthew 11, I think it is, where he says, well, look, I'm going to talk to you about John. Now, John, the baptizer, who is a seer, who sees Jesus as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, according to John. In in Matthew um, 11, Jesus says, well, who is he? Who is he? But he says, he is the greatest, born of woman. But he who is least in the kingdom will be greater 
than him. In other words, there is a potential and an understanding through the administration of the Holy Spirit, who is the gift, God in us and, and God around us in the Holy Spirit. He is God in the church. Jesus said, I've got to go away. I must send another who is just like me. But he's not in physical uh, body. He's a spiritual body that resides within every single believer. And part of that reality of the Holy Spirit is not only that he will teach us and show us things, that's the promise through John, but we will have the ability to live as Jesus lived, full of the Holy Spirit, as perfect man. Now, we don't live in that fully because we're attaining to that. We, we are being conformed to the likeness of Christ. We are not yet in the likeness of Christ. And Paul tells us we have to do that through a renewing of our mind. I'll come back to that. But the point is that Jesus clearly foreshadows a people that will be able to do on earth what he was doing because of the gift of the Holy Spirit in new creation and because of the finished work that he will accomplish at the cross. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many texts that, that Jesus... Let me give you another example. Is it consistent to pray one way and live another? No. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. They requested him to teach them. How do you pray? How do we pray now? And he says, well, you pray heaven to earth. Because the way you pray is the way you live. Heaven... To earth. You can't live heaven to earth without a being born again. Said this to Nicodemus. Coming through him, through the finished work of the cross, and by receiving not only the gift of new life, but the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit, whose function it is, according to Jesus in John 16, is to reveal the things that he's already spoken to the apostles and the mysteries of the kingdom to our heart. They are revelatory realms and dimensions. You said that you're going to come back to John 10. Now, th- th- this this is really, really great. I, I, you know, Paul, such a large part of my journey has been the idea of God just systematically finding ways to help me to understand that what was imposed upon me by... Uh, the theology of those that have gone before me, at least in recent times, a lot of them being dispensationalists, um, was was just not something he agreed with. He didn't, he didn't agree. He said, you know, first of all, Daniel, I, Jesus, do not happen to be a cessationist. <laughs> you know, it's a real interesting was- thing when, when you realize God is not a cessationist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, yeah, I, I, I am, you know, giving my Holy Spirit who is the gift and he's manifesting through people. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and always finding ways to help me to understand that he calls us citizens for a reason. Like, you know, you are citizens in heaven. Philippians yeah. 3.20. Like, okay. Well, when you look at that citizen thing, I mean, man. What does that mean? What does that look like? And then you, you run to this passage in John 10, which just says, well, you're going to come in and out. I, I want you to talk about that for a minute. Well, this is, this is really, really important. We, we, we have to ask ourselves, I believe, why, why Jesus would want to talk about this. Uh, he's talking, he's affirming his deity, the context. Now, John is writing systematically. He is, 
he is writing very intentionally about the seven I am's um, that, that the God of the old is, is Jesus. I mean, there's Jesus hidden in everything in the Old Testament. He is the living word, not just the written word. He's the living word. He is the present word. Now God speaks through his son, which is Hebrews. But of course, Jesus is the chief shepherd in resurrection. He he, That's the primary role as, as a high priest, but he's also the chief shepherd in resurrection. And John 10 uh, uses an oath phrase. So whenever Jesus uses this oath phrase of truly, truly, it's like somebody standing in court and giving evidence. It's an emphasis that he gives to the, to the underlying truthfulness of a statement that may be beyond our present understanding. And, and so often he uses this that, um, elsewhere in John 14 where he says, we will do greater works than he does. I mean, to, to even think about that, to contemplate that is, is beyond our present understanding and beyond how most of the church sees itself and how pastors and teachers teach doctrine. So this truly, truly is a really important phrase to get our attention for us to say, wow, we need to pay attention because Jesus is about to tell us a truth that may be beyond our present understanding. And, and he says, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. And to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so then it goes on. They, it was a figure of speech. It was a parable. It was beyond the understanding. He was invoking an inquiry. Uh, and that's what parables do. They invoke an inquiry. And in inquiry, you move into the deeper mysteries of what is being said to distill the truth. And in verse 7, uh, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. He repeats it again as to bear witness and emphasis. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And this is the bit we need. There's a conjunctive and there's more through salvation, through the door. There's something important that happens. And there's the and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is clearly talking about his body becoming an access, a door in the spirit to, to realms and dimensions that he leads us in and out of. I mean, it, it, for me, you have to strain language of Scripture not to come to that conclusion. And Paul picks up on this. I mean, this this is the, the very foundation to Paul's revelation that we now, through being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, are not only not only born again, but we come into this spiritual in Christ, this spiritual dwelling place, in Christ that actually 
finds our spirit man joined in Christ in a dimension, in a realm, which is called Christ, because that's where the church is to operate from. And in Ephesians 1.19, he says, My prayer for you is that every moment you'll experience the measureless power of God made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement. I'm reading from the Passion Translation of this immense power as it works through you. Verse 20, this is the resurrection power that was released through Christ when God raised him from the dead. This resurrection power raised us up, not will raise us up, has raised us up and seated us with him in his place of supreme authority in the heavenly realms. Now, Paul emphasizes this again in Colossians 3.1. Christ's resurrection from the dead is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realms and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not the distractions of the natural realm. If you read John 10 as a foundation to Paul's teaching of the church, it cannot be clearer. The body of Jesus becomes the door, the gate, the dimension by which we enter into and our spirit man's ascends. Now, what we have to understand is the ancients and all religions want to ascend. And Gnosticism was about ascending and Kabbalah and, and Zohar. And so there, we know that uh, in ancient times, there were mystical elements of Judaism. And there are also mystical elements of Gnosticism that Paul was confronting. But what he was trying to bring through was the central truth that I believe is consistent with John 10. Uh, and in Ephesians 1.19, he writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, My prayer for you is that every moment you will experience the measureless power of God made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. And then at verse 20, this is the resurrection power that was released through Christ when God raised him from the dead. This resurrection power raised us up and seated us with him at his place of supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And then Paul continues this on the same theme, Colossians 3.1, Christ's resurrection from the dead is your resurrection too. Now he's not talking about the resurrection uh, in Revelation 20. He's not talking about the resurrection, two resurrections of John 5. What he is talking about here is the present spiritual ascension in Christ that can take place. In other words, he has now become the door, the gate that opens up a new and living way. And Hebrews talks about this. You cannot live in a new and living way if you're still living in the old way. In other words, Jesus is the true door. And if you try to ascend, if you try and get there through your soul or through any other self means, it's illegal. It, it, you, you're trying to do something ahead of time or outside of Christ. But in Christ, you are, to, you are to recognize, to bring your consciousness to the idea 
that your spirit is joined in another dimension, even as you live as a dimension realm on earth in your body. So Christ's resurrection from the dead is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realms and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. And implicit in this is not only the joining of John 10, but the understanding of the very nature of faith moving from the unseen to the seen and therefore bringing Jesus' teaching on prayer into reality. And this is what Jesus modeled in his own life. Let me just say this. But see, this is brilliant, right? Because you have these people running around, occultists, new agers, everybody wants to ascend in consciousness. Go to the fifth dimension. You know, I actually had to deal with a demon in the fifth dimension the other day. Let me tell you something. There's nothing good up there uh, in that, you know, well, at least what we were dealing with was evil. You know, it's this idea that there is a counterfeit only because there is a genuine, Paul. You know, there is no such thing as a counterfeit $3 bill. Now, I don't know about you guys in Australia, but over here, we don't have them. We... (laughs) I know you guys don't have $3 bills either. Like, there's yeah. no such thing as a $3 bill. It, it's just that you can't, you can't counterfeit it because it doesn't exist in, in, in reality, right? And so the, the, the best the devil can do is create counterfeits. And so when we look at things like, like major themes of occult practices or new age, and that's something really big over here in the States, new age, you know? It's like, oh, we want to help you ascend, vibrate higher, go in the spirit and have experiences that are whatever. What, like you're saying, what they're pitching is this illegal approach. Yep. And what people do not realize is that in Christ, we have the genuine. We, we have something that's so profound, it connects us to everything that Jesus Christ, who is God, is. We're, Absolutely. We're, we're in, you know, you, you're nailing this concept of in Christ, Paul. And I'm so excited because I say the same thing. Jesus is a realm. I call him Hotel Jesus in the yep. series that we do on in Christ. We do eight weeks on this, Paul. It's so yep. important. Well, in Christ is Paul's predominant teaching. The presence of God, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, connecting you. And of course, um, that's only possible because Jesus came to model that reality. Um, you know, in, the, in one translation, he says, this is a unique father-son relationship coming out of father-son intimacies. And I'm willing to go over this line by line within anyone who wants to listen. And then he starts to talk about the yoke and, and, and the burden that is different in this than that which was under religious legalism. And, and so often Jesus was trying to say, it's not me working, it's the Father working in me. I only ever see and do. Jesus is moving out of a mystical reality a revelatory reality in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And you see, what stops the flow is the gate of the heart. So what's in my heart by way of doctrine, 
by way of teaching what's in, in my mindset, what's in my thought life, what's in my um, ideologies will become a limitation to the new truths and the flow that God wants to actually put into my heart to allow that flow to become life to me, to be formed in me so that it can flow from me. Pro <sighs> That's so accurate. See, the, the thing is, Paul, the Proverbs 4.23 says, for the issues of life flow from the heart. Yeah. But the word issues in Hebrew means borders, like of a country. So there's barriers there on what we can express in life based upon what our hearts believe. That's right. Exactly right. So as a man believe, that's what he'll become. Mm. So our thought life, what we meditate on, is very, very important. So what when, when, you, when you look to what God says to Joshua to come into a realm of faith to possess their inheritance in the land, he says for them to, for him to meditate on the word day and night, not letting it depart from his mouth. There was a mystical practice that was to shift consciousness and form faith in their heart through the word being meditated on. Now, Jesus said, I haven't come to get rid of the law. The word meditate on the law, I haven't come to get rid of the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to bring it into a different administration, a different reality. I'm going to model it and I'm going to get you to come into it as I open the gate for you to come in and the administration of the Holy Spirit to bring words that were law as spirit and life. We're not looking to the letter of the word. We're looking to the spirit of the word. And you can't do that until you come through the gate of Jesus. I came to this radical conclusion, Paul, that Jesus Christ is the realm of his kingdom. He is the door. He is the healing. He is the safety. He, you know... This ascension that we have in Christ Jesus is profound. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 30 through 31, it says, But of him, the Father, are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. As if to say, anytime we're glorying, it's going to be in the person of Jesus Christ where we exist dimensionally and partake of righteousness that comes as a gift of redemption, that everything that the devil has hijacked from our lives finds a place of redemption in the realm that is God himself, where we now abide. Paul, this is like... Yeah, and so we have to revisit then John 15 and ask ourselves, when we abide in the vine, where are we abiding? He says, if my words abide in you. Now, in the, in the New Testament context, in the context that Jesus was foreshadowing, because this is the last apostolic teaching 
that he gives before he goes to the cross uh, and, and dies before he comes back and talks for 40 days about the kingdom in his resurrection. What, what he is laying out fundamental things which become the apostolic foundation for the church going forward. And, and he talks about the necessity to abide in the vine. And he uses the language, uh, it's particular prophetic, historical language. He he basically says, I am the true vine uh, coming out of Israel. And as you abide in me, now where does that abiding take place in the context of the spirit realm? And the word, because he's no longer speaking by the Logos, he's now speaking by the Rhema. And word and spirit become one in Jesus. We become one in Jesus through word and spirit. And the words of life are spirit and real food. To fully understand that dimension of abiding, we have to shift our thought life according to Paul. Now, Paul's not permitted to teach anything that Jesus didn't teach. He can he he can relanguage it, he can contextualize it, but as a good Talmudan, as a good student of his rabbi, which is Jesus, Paul would know as a Pharisee that he's not allowed to bring his own doctrine to bear. He must bring the teaching of Jesus. In fact, that's the commission to all the apostles, Matthew 28, 18. Mm-hmm. It's important so, you say that because there are some people that actually believe that Paul was a false apostle that somehow God overlooked when they made the New Testament. But anyway, go, go ahead and continue. Well, <laughs> <laughs> ironically, Paul says himself of his own experience of education and revelation, he wasn't taught by man. No. So he he is using a statement that, that was that was identified historically with how the prophets would identify themselves as having governmental authority. So <laughs> here he's making clear, no man taught me this. Well, what's the alternative? <laughs> God taught him. That's Jesus right. taught him. So so we see something spectacular that that Paul's invited into, that he gets a revelation of. Uh, you know, his straight street experience, it, it, it got him straight. Um, it, it, The blindedness for three days, all of those metaphors speak to something greater, and Paul comes out the other side, and he understands now the cross. He understands death and resurrection. He, underst- he, he has to somehow understand the death that he may attain to the resurrection. He has to understand things in his thought life, things in his imagery, things that he had previously been taught that were limitations in his life had to give way to the greater that was now flowing in him and through him. Wow. This is the thing. The the, the revelation, Paul, is that we have something that the occultists wish they had, but they don't. So they counterfeit it. And what they have is, is, is cheap and petty, and it leads to all kinds of negative uh, <laughs> consequences over time, like demonization and uh, sickness at times and all kinds of other things that go along with lifestyle of pursuing occult activity. In Christ Jesus, there is a calling that takes us so high. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now 
the wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That as yeah. we ascend in, in Christ, because we are in him, we are dimensionally located, stretched through the heavens in him, to be yeah. found in heavenly places, according to Ephesians 2, 6. We, we are also receiving an assignment with God to make his wisdom known throughout the heavens. That's right. And can I just say something first about a counterfeit? Daniel, and, it, and it's really important for us to understand. And I think you raised the point you don't have a counterfeit $3 bill. The, the reality of a counterfeit is a good counterfeit tries its best to represent the original and uh, every detail of the original to such a way that it will deceive. And the, the reality is that in Australia, at least, uh, we, we have in our currency, we have what's called a wash mark. And the wash mark can only be seen if you hold the note to the light. And when you hold the note to the light, you see this wash mark, this transparency, which identifies it as the, as the original. The problem is, if you do not hold Scripture to the light, who is Christ, you are at risk of trying to gain an ascension through an effort which is illegal. You mm. are trying to gain access except by through the door. Now, there is no doubt that the present word of God is important to us and the word of God is important to us. But the access is because that word now has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. He is the fulfillment of something to to end something in the sense of our obligation under it, but to open up a new and living way. The text of Hebrew speaks of a priesthood an authority and a realm and a tabernacle that is first in heaven. And everything we see on earth is a mirror of that which is in heaven. The whole idea of the tabernacle is a representation of that which is on earth as it is in heaven. What God does for us is he makes us the tabernacle of David. He's restoring the tabernacle of David, not Moses. And the tabernacle of, Mo of David is that all and it's pictured as shadow and type on Mount Zion. So when David restores the ark, he has Mount Gibeon, he has Mount Zion, he has the pattern of the old, but no ark on Mount Gibeon. He has the priesthood, the old priesthood. But on Mount Zion, he has the new tabernacle, which only has the ark. It has no outer court and no holy place. And it has the people entering the presence 24-7, worshiping and praising him. And that changed the atmosphere of the city that opened up prophetic realms. It established something. And so we see this, this idea that Jesus brings us through. And the idea of Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, is that the priesthood on earth will look like a heavenly priesthood, worshiping in spirit and in truth, engaging the presence of God, living out of that realm through the Holy Spirit, being spirit-led, Spirit empowered by the new administration to bring forward that dimension on earth as it is in heaven. And when we ground it out, we come into the true, no longer the counterfeit. We ground it out in love and faith. Then what happens by the agreement on earth is we are establishing that which is in heaven. Everything in heaven is to be grounded out on earth 
and between those dual acts, we now reveal the manifold wisdom uh, of God to the rulers and powers. Yes, this, so, so we're back at interfacing heaven and earth. Correct. The thing is, this is so profound, right? Jesus Christ came as high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, the thing is, what Jesus is the high priest of is a priesthood that's designed to bring heaven and earth into alignment. Correct. It's our job. So if it's our job... <laughs> That's why we carry wait. a threefold anointing of king, priest, prophet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now I'm coming back to this reduced gospel for a minute here, Paul, because we need to make a little bit of contrast here. You know, we can't get people too excited without reminding them of where some of them are coming from. Paul, we are talking about a priesthood that we participate in that is designed to bring heaven and earth into alignment, and we've been told we are no good, low-down, worthless sinners saved by grace, that don't have access to the kingdom of God until Jesus comes back, so do your best until you die. <laughs> now, there are some circles where if you challenge that, you are the heretic, Paul. If I challenge that in certain groups, I am the heretic. It's like... So, the, the, the question is, um, what is God doing about it? Like, this, this contrast. How do you see God working with his body at this point in history to, to, to begin to pull people out of this old mindset that has been imposed upon them by a very rational, theologically sound, or so we've been told, people, and into this, kingdom-centered approach to Jesus? I, I think if we look at the, the, the history of humanity and understanding issues that are divine or issues of God, there's always been um, a history of development of ideas and dispute around proper interpretation. I mean, uh, if you look at... Um, the disputes that have constantly arisen, even even in the days of Jesus, the difference of understanding about the resurrection, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, even the Pharisees I had up to seven sects. Then you had the, the Essenes that were different yet again, and that was just in Judaism, let alone adding now a new apostolic order that was in conflict with the Sanhedrin. If you, if you look at ideas um, all through an expression, the ideas of God, there's always been conflict. We see conflict between Paul and we, uh, sorry, conflict between um, Saul and King David. So King Saul, there's a conflict, there's a spiritual dimension. And so what we what we have to understand is that, that truth is a real valuable commodity. And unless we are willing to search for it and, and to be true to it, um, we A, we're not going to come into it. So what often happens in the body is that for various political reasons or for other humanistic reasons, um, somebody reinterprets Scripture in a way that suits what they want to become out of or have a reaction to. And classically, Darbyism is one such example. 
historically dispensationalism is one such example. Um, the, the marginal notes of dispensations in the Schofield Bible is one such example. And you, we, we historically have had the Bible being read through the Dark Ages and other ages by people that are sages uh, or rabbis or learned people who the people trust to convey the truth of Scripture to them. Um, historically, we've had a, a less literate society. And we haven't had printing. So, you know, the person who was to be the teacher carried a, a significant responsibility. What we have in our generation is the truth of Scripture that the Holy Spirit will teach all. It doesn't mean we don't have teachers. It doesn't mean we can't listen. But we are always listening to the present sound of God. What we teach is doctrinal or systematic humanism or structure of the scripture rather than teaching proper exegesis of the scripture now proper exegesis any scholar will tell you has to have certain hermeneutic principles there's certain rules of interpretation you have to have uncontext and those things but we don't have time or we appear not to have time we have a place of trust in the church of those who teach doctrine the problem is traditions outweigh a genuine uh, search, meditating, reflective search of Scripture by each individual. And so when we come into a reflective search and we, and we start to meditate on these things, we really find that nothing is new. What we're actually being restored to is some of the apostolic foundations uh, that the early church well understood. We live in different times. In other, in other words, the idea of a mystical element in the early church was well known. The whole idea of angels, um, demons, what idol worship really was, spiritual dimensions were best understood um, in ancient times, and we call it mythology. We live in an age of enlightenment, so a lot of what is context to a proper biblical exegesis has to now be discovered. It was normal then, it's not normal now. So when we bring adjustment to the church, we have to get them to plunge back into the mindset of that day. How did they think? How did they see the world? How did they live uh, around these issues so that we can properly exegete or pull out of the text the truth of what was going on then? What was the author intending? What was the context? And then we can apply it to today. If we do that, we'll be true to Scripture. And if we're true to Scripture, we'll be true to Revelation. I mean, Paul wants the church to come in to a, a measure of Revelation. He, he says he says this in Ephesians um, 1, verse 18, an apostolic prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of of his power, capital H, towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subject, um, subjection under his feet and gave him as the head 
over all things to the church, which is the fullness of his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If the head is in the heavens and the body, Paul teaches, is first a spiritual community, then we are to be heavenly minded in Christ with the wisdom of Christ manifesting that reality on earth. That will mean we have to shift doctrinal limitations from our thinking that can embrace the fullness of that truth. I'll tell you what, and and here's the thing, Paul. The book of Acts leaves us a number of smoking guns on this issue. I mean, let's be real here. These people had a different thought process when it came to their spiritual um, uh, connectivity to the kingdom. Okay, let's look at Philip. He was translated to Azotus through time and space, his whole body taken. Um, Okay, no one seemed too shocked when that happened either. It wasn't like freak out moment. It just happened, whatever. Um, they're in prison. An angel, like, like, literally, like, smotes Peter. It's like, get up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, that just, and they just say, this is what just, just happened. In Acts 12, this one is so strange. So, uh, Peter's outside after he's set free from prison. The, 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 the lady, she recognizes Peter's voice. He's outside. From joy, it says, she did not open the door. She ran and announced that Peter was standing at the door. They yep. said to her, you're insane. But she insisted that it was really so. So they said, it's his angel. Like, who? Okay. Paul? <laughs> Paul? <laughs> who says that? Like, oh, knock, knock, knock. Oh, that's not that's not Paul Todd Hill. That's Paul Todd Hill's angel knocking at my door. Like, let, let, what was going on in their heads in the book of Acts? That this well, that's was... Like- that, that, that language, that level of spiritual consciousness was normal for those times. So, it was not, not only normal amongst the, the Jews. It was normal amongst the pagans. And, and, and what we've got to understand is when we read the Bible about idol worship and those kinds of things, we just go, oh, yeah, idols. But we don't understand the level of consciousness and heart affection to these spiritual dimensions that, that God was addressing. So we see John, like I mentioned in the beginning, right? He was in the spirit on the Lord's day, having an encounter with Jesus Christ. I mean, he's like, yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> then the whole book of Revelation unfolds after that. Visions and going to other realms and a door opens in heaven. I mean, all this stuff. Well, dreams, visions, as again, we go back to that conversation. If we look through the Old Testament, those who were anointed by God, the prophets that could speak for God, who would foretell and reveal the things of God, that generation finished with Jesus because he brings them. He says the last of the prophets of that kind is finished in John. But the prophets of a new kind that are in me will experience even greater things than what they experienced. Well, even greater things than what Jesus experienced, Paul. And even the prophets experienced. I mean, we will look at Ezekiel and we'll be marveled at the visions and the encounters that he was taken into to get understanding. We look at Daniel. What happened to Daniel? We look at all the prophets. But Jesus says, 
Hey, hang on. John the baptizer puts an end to that. Now something and someone greater is coming. Jesus said this all the time. Someone greater than Solomon is here. Something greater has now come. God has come. We, we, we've got to be really clear about this, that God has come. And there is a redemptive work in Jesus to set anew, to set afresh a new creation in Christ Jesus. The covenant promises of the new look superior to the old. They're joined to the old, but they are superior to the new. They don't carry some of the limitations of the old because God has come. He has marked history by his coming. He has gone to the cross for man to open up a new and living way, to open a portal realm, to bring them up, to shift their consciousness on earth, to redeem them, that they might move in the same level of consciousness that I believe Adam had in the beginning. But our consciousness has declined because through an enlightened period, our left brain dominance has risen up. We become analytical, but the right brain aspect, the creative, which the spirit flows through and connects with our heart, has been measured down. So what happens is we believe in our heart, not with our analytical mind. That... We believe in the, in, this, in the unconscious or subconscious realms of our mind. That's it's really huge. You know, you know, this is a a major problem, uh, Paul. That people I think run into is that they see they try to use logic and concrete thought of the left brain variety yeah. to understand what we're talking about. Do you have a whole other hemisphere of your brain? Like Paul said, I think the spirit does a lot of work through the right hemisphere. I mean, I mean, like just it, 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 uh, it, it does seem like the right brain processes things in line with biblical revelations on what the heart does. It's yes. th there are connections there that are absolutely warranted, and it's that uh, a propensity for being able to be abstract that allows us to drift into spiritual realities in Christ. Yeah. Je Jesus often did things and said things that were revelatorily true of spiritual dimensions that could not be processed by the human mind. Absolutely. The, 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 the greatest of this was when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Mm. Now, that sounds demonic. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest about it. Yep. If we would approach it from today's consciousness and awareness, we go, that is, and, and that's how the crowd approached it. That's just, what are you talking about? Yet Peter, he doesn't run off. Jesus is happy for them to go. He's talking to a truth that is beyond their present understanding. And, and he's talking about a dimensional spiritual truth, which they'll engage in, that his, that his body represents something greater in the spiritual dimensions. And yet Peter's the only one that says, this makes no sense to my head. This is this is not the first time you've done this to me, Jesus. My paraphrase. <laughs> I mean, you did it when you washed my feet, John 30. I mean, what the heck? What are you doing, Jesus? You say things that are hard to understand. And Peter said the same of Paul. He has revelation. He has things and understanding of dimensions that are hard to understand. They're beyond our human logic to process and understand. But Jesus was happy to say, do you want to go too? He says, Peter says, no, I don't want to go. 
there's something i'm paraphrasing your your spirit your words have life there's something else that i interact with that tells me this is true see this is the spirit of truth in the word of god that that ignites us and gives us life we don't get life by a logical interpretation of scripture it's not food to our body. It's not real food until we, we ingest it, until we take it in to our heart, until we meditate, until we let the spiritual dimensions of our soul embrace and become subject to it where it operates. And this is the thing. I, I mean, I know that in my line of work, <laughs> um, we've had to learn how the spirit realm functions and its mechanics. And you know what, Paul, I'm just going to be honest. One of the biggest breakthroughs in understanding everything about how the spirit realm works and so on and so forth is a revelation that, one, what many people consider allegorical or metaphorical in the Bible's description of things is actually the accurate communication of spiritual realities. Yeah. And that spirits are realms that one's is so huge because like we were saying in the beginning being in christ how can you even begin to engage god's kingdom if you don't get that far be understanding in christ is like everything because <laughs> because there is no other legal way to engage the spirit realm without his door that's right that's exactly right. But what we see in the church, which becomes concerning, is the mystical element that is taken uh, through a wrong direction or through mixture. And so what it produces is fear, not only in pastors, but fear in people, because people don't want to engage the demonic in any level, um, You know, at least through anything that they're doing, uh, intentionally, they may be engaging the demonic in ways they don't yet understand, but that's another conversation. And so, we, we, when we talk about the word mysticism, we, we, we are, we, we start to get scared. We, we start to get concerned because we don't really understand it. We don't, we don't really want to talk about the mechanics because we just got to live our life out here. It's hard enough to live our life out here to just get people to do the basics. Why, why should we? you know, make it more complicated. And I think what happens is we, we, we so reduce the idea of what God had in mind for how we do live to just some principles and obedience to principles. Now, whilst that is helpful at one level, it can't sustain the fullness of life that is the promise that we are to walk in by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit doesn't get rid of the Word of God. It sheds light on the Word of God. The Bible doesn't contain God, it reveals God. And I think we have to approach things a little differently, and in, but in that sense, somewhat carefully, because most of the detractors are operating out of fear and the lack of understanding, rather than us moving in the way of love and having a conversation and saying, look, we have to revisit the text from a supernatural dimension. The whole idea of it is a God we can't see being made known to us. That is mystical. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that word mystical will trip up your uh, religious people 
very quickly, Paul. Yeah. Dangerous ground. And I've had people say, well, you know, you talk about where, where's mystical in the Bible? I mean, who, where does this stuff come from? And I said, well, by definition, humanity must be mystical. Because if you look at the multiple dimensions that are existing in the garden, the first temple, and the role and the reality of walking with halaking with God, the very Hebraic idea of halak with God, walking in the spirit, is necessarily multidimensional. Humanity is made multidimensionally. Well, if we've been deemed back to restore that which was lost, it must be multidimensional. It must be mystical. So we've got to reclaim and redeem some of the language that has genuinely been hijacked by the counterfeit. And, and this is the thing, right? The Bible says in Ephesians 3, 4, by which, when you read it, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, right? The, the mystery of yep. Christ. Okay, hold on. The definition of mystical means of or relating to mystics or religious mysticism and inspiring a sense of spiritual mystery, awe or fascination, mystery, yep. right? Um, we're unveiling truths that are hidden in God. Yep. As we approach Christianity and enter in through the door. Correct. It's all about the door, Paul. Which door did you use when you entered in? Correct. There's some people, they use transcendental meditation. That's the wrong door. Wrong door. Some people, they use witchcraft. Wrong door. Some people will get themselves worked into an ecstatic state. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> They will. They, they, mm. and, and some will use drugs to get themselves into oh. a, uh, an ecstatic state. But all of those things are opening, trying to ascend illegally. Yeah. Trying to shift consciousness illegally. But there is a legal, biblical, Christocentric way in which Paul actually tries to encourage and teach the church. That's the emphasis of Colossians 3.1. Hey, get your thought life disciplined. Your thoughts are the key to your heart. The thoughts are the key, but understand your thinking. For, don't try and ascend. Don't try and do things what the Gnostics are doing. Don't even try to do what the other religions are doing. They're all false. They're all counterfeits. Come through where I'm just letting you know you've already ascended, and it's not for one or two. It's all there's no special class of knowledge here that makes you superior. There's no special class of Christian. There's just sons and daughters of God who are having access to a new and living way that may know and experience and delve into the mysteries of Christ being made revealed. Now, this is the thing, right? Um, in the Bible, it says, but God, okay, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. First yeah. Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. And then it goes on. It says, but God has, but God <laughs> has revealed them to us by his spirit. So this is that connection, right? John said, what am I doing? I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What was he doing with the in spirit? He was having God reveal things to him through the biblical model. Correct. And then the Bible says, For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. 
What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? You know, one of the things I've noticed, Paul, is that people have a really hard time with the concept of a human spirit. Have no problem with the demonic spirit. Everything's a demon for some of these people. Everything's a demon. Person falls out under the power of God, got to be a demon. Person speaks in tongues, got to be a demon. Person gets healed, got to be a demon. Miracle happens, got to be a demon. These people are in so much fear of demons. And it's like, well, again, back to the counterfeit. They're not going to counterfeit something that doesn't actually exist in God. Right? All right. And, and, but, but there's this thing that the spirit of man is in him. We have spirit. Yeah. And, and, and the Bible says, likewise, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So... So God has a spirit, where in his image we have a spirit. And then it says, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. And this is the thing, when the soul, being the carnal mind, disconnects from the spirit of man that God has put in us, we have a disconnect from God himself. 100%. That's why we're not experiencing those things, because we, we're meant to be in the, in the vine, remember? Mm. We're to abide in that connection. And that connection is reinforced by word and spirit. But if we don't rightly discern the word, if we go back to, to worldly understanding of spiritual truths, we can't apprehend them, we can't engage in them because we keep reducing them to what we presently understand and we keep reducing them to the pattern of the world. So hence Paul says in Romans very, very clearly be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way the Passion Translation uh, interprets Romans 12, 2 is this. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Don't be squeezed into the mold or pattern of this modern age, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. In other words, it just measures on what Paul says. The things of the flesh cannot understand the things of the spirit. Things of the pattern of the world, the thinking, the logic of the world does not understand the logic of supernatural dimensions. No, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> and, and you know what that says a lot about? Um, the, the fact that the body of Christ needs to graduate, Paul, into some higher things, some greater things. And I think the way we do that, Daniel, is really, really important. Mm. And 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 I think God, we we are in probably an interesting transition globally right now. If you look at transitions of, of what's happening in nations and and we really are seeing something of the fulfillment of Isaiah 60 but what's going to set us apart what's going to become uncommon uh, in the world is a church living from the revelation of wisdom and the knowledge of Christ from where we're seated that is going to have to be something that is genuinely understood um, and experienced and outworked that means the very way we teach Scripture, the very way we engage each other towards the fruitfulness of Scripture, letting it become manifest in our life, even the way we do church may look different. The emphasis may look different. 
because what happens is our theology shapes our praxis. It shapes our liturgy. It shapes how and why we do things. But if we start to understand uh, from an apostolic prophetic point of view, the very nature and purpose of the church, what she's called to do, who she's called to become, and we come back to the foundational ideas that the early church well understood, it sets us up to be equipped. That equipped is a Greek word that's like a chiropractor. The fivefold gifts are there to bring alignment to the structure and to the revelation of the church. And But we're not seeing that take place. There's a resistance in a heavy pastoral model that wants to keep everything grounded out on earth and in the practical. But if we don't engage it through the spiritual, we're not going to be empowered to do the things that are beyond the mere practical we can do in our own ability. In other words, we, we don't embrace the fullness of the grace of God that's available to us. The fullness of the grace of God that is available to us. And Paul, that means so much to me because, you know, I, when I look at grace, I don't just look at unmerited favor. I look at grace as the finished work itself and as God's ability, as his divine influence upon our hearts. When we are walking in the fullness of grace, that is that is a truly profound state of existence to live a life out of an outflow of God's ability. And, you know, the thing is, I think church is all about equipping. You know, the, 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 the funny thing is that in Ephesians 4, it says that the fivefold ministry is given for the equipping of the saints. Yeah. And and, and, and the idea is like we didn't say for the encouraging of the saints. I mean, that's part of it. Part of being equipped is encouraged. Mm. But see, the the church I see is, is, is a vehicle through which God is expanding his government. And, and it's a society, a heavenly society that has anchor points in the earth called physical bodies. Yep. And so when we begin to connect people with all of the benefits of their position in Christ, their lives are going to have a very different impact in this world than they are. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and Jesus and the epistles clearly talk about the idea that as we are grounded in Christ, as we are grounded in his love, as we are grounded in, where, in a consciousness of where we are seated, that will cause a transformed life in the natural realm, and we are going to reveal Christ through our life. In a, in, because it's, it, it's not going to be weird. It, it's actually going to be Christ-like. And so, the, so we physically recreate, if you will, the substance of the resurrected God. Uh, sorry, the resurrected King in Jesus Christ, revealing the Father to the world. That's what that, that Jesus became the most normal Christian in the world, and he moved supernaturally in an intimate relationship with the Father. He only moved by the Spirit, but what he was able to do was produce a model of life that was greater than the religious system that was trying ultimately to confuse everyone around him wow jesus had a collision with the sanhedrin with the religious spirit in the same way that that the apostles did this is this 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 pattern and this shadow is true that took place between david and saul it's nothing new so so jesus was as to the 
to the Pharisees as David was to Saul. Uh, and then the apostles are as Jesus, if you will, to, to the Sanhedrin because there's this continuing conflict of spiritual truths and spiritual realities. And Jesus warned there were two spiritual um, aspects or yeasts, he called them, that would come against this very revelation and this ability to move in these dimensions that Jesus was moving in. He said, beware the yeast of Herod and the yeast of the Pharisees. One is a religious spirit. One is the humanistic spirit, the political spirit, the rational spirit that is going to shrink our revelation and our ability to do the things that Jesus did. The things that I do, you will do, and greater things also will you do, because I go to the Father. Correct. You know what? And this is the thing about being in Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. And then he said, I am in you, and you are in me. Mm -hmm. So the bridge to the Father is Jesus. He's the bridge to everything heavenly. Absolutely. And that's why John 10 and Paul's high Christology and John's high Christology is so important to understand when we are talking about these dimensions and these realms. You know what, Paul? I think that what we have uh, discussed so far is like 10 sermons worth of material. This is just, <laughs> un, it, it's kind of uncalled for, Paul. This is just really a lot. That's <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you and I get together. I know. It's just like, man, just start dropping bombs, grenades, and it is just, 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 uh, yeah. Exciting is a good word for it. Paul, man, it's always a lot of fun to have you on the program. Um, is there anything you want to add to what you have already said? The only, the only thing I want to say is um, revelation should never create elitism, uh, arrogance, or uh, harshness. I think uh, revelation in Christ coming into the wisdom of, of, of God always carries the heart of God. And I just think there has to be real humility um, in the way in which we engage conversations uh, with those who see things differently. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything new under the sun. I think all that God is doing is restoring some of the truths that the early church well understood that we've either ignored or not, not really pried into in a way that's given it proper exegesis. And, and, and there's brilliant scholars out there that just don't, Get me wrong, there's some amazing work. I don't think what we're saying uh, is inconsistent with a lot of scholarship uh, that is going on. There is a, uh, there is a real shift uh, amongst brilliant scholars who have dedicated their life to these things that is taking place. And we're in transition. There is a state of flux. It doesn't mean we get rid of the solid things. The, the, the sure thing we know is Christ Jesus. He is our rock. He is our sure foundation. And from that sure foundation, we can build sure truths, which we know were established as the pillars and the foundations in the early church and apostolically, those things we hold to. The rest of those things, well, they'll be for discussion, but I don't think we should create division in the church over those differences. But I do not think either 
that doctrine should limit revelation. It should facilitate revelation and the knowledge of Christ and us going deeper into the things of God that we may express him in this world at a time where we're going to need to be rock solid when the world's shaking. Amen. Amen. We have an assignment. If we're still here, we still got assignments. 100%. Paul, that's it. Um, the priesthood is designed to interface heaven and earth. It's a job description. Folks, I've been talking with Paul Todhill. I'll be in Australia soon. This is Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you want to check out Paul's church. Uh, Paul, what is the uh, website for your church if you uh, want to check out? Gatewaychurch.org.au. 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 And I know he has uh, sermons uploaded on his website. You can check out, listen, be fed. Folks, we're done for this week. Um, <laughs> you may need to hit replay on this. Thanks. Paul Tothill for all of the overage. Um, I'll just lay that to his credit. And uh, man, folks, you've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us, access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.